Chapter Thirty Two of At the Time Appointed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. At the Time Appointed by A. Maynard Barbour. Chapter 32 Marion Holmes The following day when Darrell entered his mother's rooms he found her with his journal lying open before her. Looking up with a smile, she said, Darrell, my dear, I would like to meet your Kathy, but that can never be in this world. But you will meet her again, and when you do, give her a mother's love and blessings from me. Then, laying her hand on his arm, she added, I understand now your question regarding Marion. As I told you, it is difficult to judge anything about her real feelings. For the first year after you went away, she came often to see me and frequently inquired for tidings of you. But this last year she seemed different. She has come here less frequently and seldom referred to you and appeared so engrossed in her studies. I concluded she had little thought or care for you. I may have misjudged her, but even were that so, and she did care for you still, you would not marry her now. Loving another as you do, would you? Darrell smiled as he met his mother's eager, questioning gaze. If I had won the love of a girl like Marion Holmes, he said, I would do nothing that would seem like trifling with that love. But in justice to all parties concerned, herself in particular, I would never marry her without first giving her enough knowledge of the facts in the case that she would thoroughly understand the situation. His mother seemed satisfied. Marion has brains. Whether she has a heart or not, she replied with quiet emphasis, and a girl of brains would never marry a man under such circumstances. Handing him his journal, she pointed with a smile to its inscription. Until the daybreak, she quoted, that has been my daily watchword all these years. Strange that you, too, should have chosen it as your own. Had Darrell gone to his aunt for a gauge of Marion Holmes's feelings towards himself, she could have informed him more correctly than his mother. She, with an old love hidden so deeply in her heart that no one ever suspected its existence, understood the silent, reticent girl far better than her emotional, demonstrative sister. A few days after moving into the rooms newly fitted up for her, Mrs. Britton gave what she termed a little housewarming to which were invited a few old-time friends of her own and Mr. Britton's, together with some of Darrell's associates. Among the latter, Marion was, of course, included, but happening at the time to be out of town. She did not receive the invitation until two days afterwards. Meantime, Darrell, who was anxious to meet the syndicate from whom he had received his western commissions two years before, left on the following day for New York City. Consequently, when Marion, upon her return, 
called on Mrs. Britton to explain her absence. Darrell was away. Marion Holmes was, as Mrs. Britton had said, a silent girl, not from any habitual self-repression, but from an inherent inability to express her deeper feelings. Hers was one of those dumb, speechless souls that, finding no means of communicating with others, unable to get in touch with those about them, go on their silent, lonely ways, no one dreaming of the depth of feeling or wealth of affection they really possess. The eldest child of a widowed mother in moderate circumstances, her life had been one of constant restriction and self-denial. Her association with Darrell marked a new epoch in the dreary years. For the first time within her memory, there was something each morning to which she could look forward with pleasant anticipation, something to look back upon with pleasure when the day was done. As their intimacy grew, her happiness increased, and when he returned from college with high honors, her joy was unbounded. Brought up in a home where there was little demonstration of affection, she did not look for it here. She loved and supposed herself loved in return, else how could there be such an affinity between them? The depth of her love for Darrell Britton she herself did not know until the, his strange disappearance. Then she learned the place he had filled in her heart and life by the void that remained. As months passed without tidings of him, she lost hope. Unable to endure the blank monotony of her home life, she took up the study of medicine, partly to divert her mind and also as a means of future self-support, more remunerative than teaching. With the news of Darrell's return, hope sprang into new life, and it was with a wild sweet joy which would not be stilled pulsating through her heart that she went to call on Mrs. Britton. She had a nature supersensitive, and as she entered Mrs. Britton's rooms her heart sank and her whole soul recoiled as from a blow. With her limited means and her multiplicity of home duties, her outings had been confined to the small towns within a short distance of her native village. These rooms, in such marked contrast to everything to which she had been accustomed, were to her a revelation of something beyond her of which she had no conception, a revelation also that her comrade of bygone days had grown away from her, beyond her, beyond even her reach or kin. Quietly, with a strange benumbing pain, she noted every detail as she answered Mrs. Britton's inquiries. But conscious of the lack of affinity between herself and Darrell's mother, it seemed to her that the dark eyes regarding her so searchingly must read with what hopes she had come and how those hopes had died. She was glad Darrell was not at home. She could not have met him then and there. But so quiet were her words and manner, so like her usual demeanor, that Mrs. Britton said to herself, as Marion took leave, I was right. She cares for Darrell only as a mere acquaintance. On her return, she entered the parlor of her own home and stood for some moments gazing silently about her. How shabby! how pitifully bare and meager and colorless, 
an emblem of her own life. Throwing herself upon the threadbare little sofa where she and Darrell had spent so many happy hours, reviewing their studies and talking of hopes and plans for the future, she burst into such bitter, passionate weeping as only natures like hers can know. Darrell's trip proved successful beyond his anticipation. He found the leading members of the syndicate to whom he explained his two years' absence and into whose possession he gave the money entrusted to his keeping. So delighted were they to see him after having given him up for dead, and so pleased were they with his honesty and integrity that they tendered him his old position with them, offering to continue his salary from the date of his western commission. This offer he promptly declined, declaring that he would undertake no commissions or enter into no business agreements during his mother's present state of health. He had taken with him the complete manuscript of his geological work, and this, through the influence of one or two members of the syndicate, he succeeded in placing with a publishing house making a specialty of scientific works. These facts, communicated to his parents, soon reached Miss Jewett, filling her with pride and delight that knew no bounds. Ellisburg had no daily paper, but it possessed a few individuals of the gentler sex, who, as advertising mediums, answered almost as well, and whom Miss Jewett included among her acquaintance. She suddenly remembered a number of calls which her household duties had hitherto prevented her returning, and decided that this was the most opportune time for paying them. Ordering her carriage and donning her best black silk gown, she proceeded with due ceremony to make her round of calls, judiciously dropping a few words here and there, which, like the seed sown on good ground, brought forth fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. As a result, Darrell, upon his return, found himself a literary star of the first magnitude, the cynosure of all eyes. These reports reaching Marion only widened the gulf which she felt now intervened between herself and Darrell. Almost immediately upon his return, Darrell called upon her. She was at home, but sent a younger sister to admit him while she nerved herself for the dreaded interview. As he awaited her coming, he looked around him with a sort of wonder. Each object seemed familiar, and yet was it possible this was the room that used to seem so bright and pleasant as he and Marin conned their lessons together? Had it changed, he wondered, or had he... Marion's entrance uh, put a stop to his musings. He sprang to meet her. She advanced slowly. She had changed very little. Her face, unless animated, was always serious, determined. It was a shade more determined, almost stern, but it had the same strong intellectual look which had always distinguished it and for which he had admired it. Darrell, on the contrary, was greatly changed. Marion, gazing at the snow-white hair, the dark eyes with their piercing, inscrutable look, 
the firmly set mouth and noting the bearing of conscious strength and power was unable to recognize her quondam schoolmate until he spoke the voice and smile were the same as of old they clasped hands for an instant then darrell as in the old days dropped easily into one corner of the little sofa supposing she would take her accustomed place in the other corner but instead she drew a small rocker opposite and facing him in which she seated herself his manner was cordial and free as after a few inquiries regarding herself he spoke of his absence touching lightly upon his illness and its strange consequences and expressed his joy at finding himself at home once more she was kind and sympathetic but her manner was constrained she could not banish the remembrance of her call upon his mother of the contrast between his home and hers and as he talked something indefinable in his language in his very movements and gestures revealed to her sensitive nature a contrast a difference between them he had somehow reached ground to which she could not attain he drew her out to speak of her new studies and congratulated her upon her progress but the call was not a success socially or otherwise when darrell left the house he believed more firmly than ever that marion had loved him in the past whether she had ceased to love him he could not then determine time would tell during the weeks that followed there were numerous gatherings of a social and informal nature where darrell and marion were thrown in each other's society but though he still showed preference for her over the girls of his acquaintance she shrank from his attention avoiding him whenever she could do so without causing remark thanksgiving day came and miss jewett's guests were compelled to admit that she had surpassed herself the dinner was one long to be remembered her prized turkey occupied the place of honor flanked on one side by roast duck superbly browned and on the other by an immense chicken pie while savory vegetables crisp pickles and tempting relishes such as she only could concoct crowded the table in every direction a huge plum pudding headed the second course with an almost endless retinue of pies mince pumpkin and apple while golden custards and jellies red purple and amber of currant grape and peach brought up the rear a third course of fruits and nuts followed but by that time scarcely any one was able to do more than make a pretense of eating to this dinner were invited the minister and his wife one or two far removed cousins who usually put in an appearance at this season of the year marion holmes and a decrepit old lady a former friend of mrs jewett's who confided to the minister's wife that she had eaten a very light breakfast and no lunch whatever in order that she might be able to do justice to experience's dinner marion holmes was not there and darrell meeting her on the street the next day playfully took her to task why were you not at dinner yesterday he inquired have you no more regard for my feelings than to leave me to be sandwiched between the parson's wife and old mrs 
Pettigrew. I might have gone had I known such a fate as that awaited you, she replied laughing. But, she added with some spirit, thinking it best to come to the point at once, I can see no reason for thrusting myself into your family gatherings simply because you and I were good comrades in the past. Were we not something more than merely good comrades, Marion? he asked, anxious to ascertain her real feelings towards himself. It seems to me we were, or at least that we thought we were. That may be, she answered, her color rising slightly. But if we thought so then, that is no reason for deceiving ourselves any longer. She intended to mislead him, and she did. Very well, he replied, we will not deceive ourselves. We will have a good understanding with ourselves and with each other. Is there any reason why we should not be at least good comrades now? I know of none, she answered, meeting his eyes without wavering. Then let us act as such, and not like two silly children, afraid of each other. Is that a compact? She, he asked, smiling and extending his hand. It is, she replied, smiling brightly in return as their hands clasped, thus by word and act renouncing her dearest hopes without his dreaming of the sacrifice. End of chapter 32